Welcome to PS, the Puget Sound podcast, where we're talking with members of our campus community about their Puget Sound experiences. I'm Elena Becker, and my guest today is Leah Van Steeder, a very recent alum in the class of 2021. Leah is from Corvallis, Oregon, and while she was at Puget Sound, she majored in international political economy and minored in Spanish. Today, as always, the Puget Sound podcast is recorded and produced right here in Tacoma by Moonyard Studio. Here's Leah. Leah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Delighted to have you. I will say to start things off, you have the distinction of being the newest alum we have ever had on the podcast because you are an alum in the class of 2021. So you graduated just, what, three weeks ago? Yes. Is that right? And how does it feel? Do you feel different now that you're on this side of commencement? I think it definitely feels much more relaxing than a typical summer where you're on summer vacation, but you're kind of counting down the weeks until you have to go back to working many, many hours per week on all your different projects. It's funny you say that because you frame that like you're enjoying it. And I remember getting up the day after commencement at my parents' house and thinking like, I don't have to do anything. Like, I guess I'm just going to go eat breakfast. Yes. No, it's definitely a funny shift. And I think in a weird way, the pandemic has been kind of a transition into that because there's less places we have to be, um, not necessarily in a fun way, but I think that made it feel a little less weird. Yeah, it wasn't such a hard stop. Mm -hmm. What was it like to graduate? Tell me about the actual day. So I had very much been kind of cynical about like graduation. I was kind of like, okay, it's, we've been virtual learning for a whole year. All these adults are saying it's really important to be having these kind of rituals and like markers of transitions and change. And I was kind of like, ah, whatever. I haven't been on campus that much. It won't really matter that much, but actually being able to have an in-person graduation was really sweet. Um, and it was really nice to recognize so many people going across the stage. And I think that was something I had forgotten about a little bit because when you're on campus, you realize like, wow, I know so many of these people. And that's really nice when you're walking to class or you're going to lunch or anything like that. But it was a really nice reminder of seeing all these people who are like acquaintances and friends walking across the stage. And I think everyone was also really excited to be there, even if we had had a pretty tough year. Mm-hmm. And I know you have only graduated once, so this is maybe, or graduated from college once, so this is maybe a little bit of a cheater question, but could you tell the ways in which it was different because of the pandemic? Like, did it feel, did it feel weird? Did it feel like pandemic stuff? Tell me about that. Yeah, I think it felt like a reunion for a lot of people, because mm-hmm. even though we were sitting six feet apart, you we were still able to see everyone around you. and see a lot of people in person that I hadn't in a really long time. And so I think that was a special, it almost felt like, I don't know, kind of like an assembly in high school or something like that, where you get to see all these people who you might not have classes with. So that Mm -hmm. was really nice. Um, And I think, of course, there were parts of it that felt very pandemic-y in terms of wearing masks and being distanced and everything. But it was really sweet to have so many people in one place and have it feel really safe. And like everyone was excited. 
And I imagine still nice to get to do, as you said, like some of the traditions where, you know, your class got your 2021 plaque on commencement walk and you got to go take a picture with that or you get to, I mean, I want even just lining up and walking into the stadium is, is moving. You hear the music and you realize that you've reached this big accomplishment. It's, it's nice. Yeah, it was really nice. And so now that you are on the side of commencement, I know this is a question that every graduate hates, but I will just say for anybody listening, I did clear with you that this was okay to ask live, but what comes next? What are you up to now? Yeah, so I, and I appreciate your understanding that because I do think for 99% of college graduates, you don't want to be asked what you're doing next. You want to volunteer to talk about it before you actually say yeah, it's certainly the being asked, I think, comes from a very good place. But I recall it getting very old, very fast for that to be like the one question everybody had for me. Yes. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of being asked where you're going to college or what you're doing after high school. Um, so I am doing an internship this summer through the Congressional Hunger Center. Um, I'll be interning with I just started today, actually. I'm interning with the Oregon Child Development Coalition. And so it's a really huge nonprofit. It's the sixth largest in Oregon. Um, and I grew up in Oregon. So that's really fun to be working for somewhere close to home. Um, and they focus on providing Head Start and childcare and um, nutritional assistance and teaching and um, to families in Oregon, especially migrant and farm worker communities. And so that is a really cool intersection of my interests in public health and also in working with underserved immigrant populations. Um, so that I'll be doing that through the end of August. And then right after, I guess, right after finals week, um, I found out that I was accepted into the CDC's public health associate program. Um, and I was placed in Seattle out of all places, which is wonderful because they could have put me anywhere. Um, so I will be moving to Seattle in September or October and starting a two-year fellowship. Um, normally they place you with a public health department and so you're working there and then you're also attending some trainings in Atlanta at the CDC with the cohort. And given that those are the two things that you are involved in, it sounds to me like you have a pretty clear idea of where your interests are and maybe what you want your professional trajectory to be. And is that a fair characterization or do you feel like, no, I actually am still exploring? I think a little bit of both. I have a really good idea of what I want for the next two years and I'm really happy it's worked <laughs> out, but I have no idea past then. I really wasn't thinking about public health at all until the end of my junior year um, and then of college and then um had just been applying for things and feeling like I was underqualified and like I should have majored in a natural science and not a social science. And so to have this work out um, has been really wonderful because I feel like it will be a great test of whether this is a field I really want to pursue and maybe it will be, or maybe I'll go away from it. And tell me a little bit about what your interests are within public health, because I think given the current moment and what we've all experienced in the last year, we all have a really particular view of public health that is very epidemiology heavy. But what I'm hearing you talk about in terms of public health is things like hunger and nutrition and things that are um, very social science focused, even though, as you said, they do overlap meaningfully with the natural sciences. 
just from your perspective, why are you interested in public health? What's, what does the public health world look like to you? Yeah. So I originally got interested in public health through a global health class that I took in the sociology and anthropology department. And so that I think has really informed my interests and they lie most in ensuring access to healthcare and access to all the things that influence our health throughout our whole lives. So that I think is a really very interesting part of public health to be interested in and working in because it is so broad and it encompasses everything from poverty and income um, to race and gender and age and all these different things. So I think I'm not, I definitely haven't narrowed in yet on one particular issue in public health that I'm interested in, but I think that I'm really interested in the parts of all of public health that focus on access. Hmm. Leah, I know this was your first day, and so this is another one of those kind of unfair questions, but do you have a sense of what you were actually doing this summer in your internship that will help you zero in on what it's like to do the work of access in public health? Yes and no. I think I have a very good idea of the general projects I will be assisting on, but not totally like what my role with those will take. Um, I'm going to be working both with the kind of headquarters of Oregon Child Development Coalition in Wilsonville and with their branch in Washington County, um, which is near Portland, kind of like right next to it. Um, and so in Washington County, my work will be focused on supporting the development of a secondary food bank um, that will be supporting families in Washington County. And then with the main um, branch of OCDC, I'm going to be working a lot with kind of refining their survey materials and the way that they communicate with the populations they serve. So for example, I'm going to be looking over a survey that they send families um, or hand out to families when they first enroll in programming that asks them about their access to food, what kinds of food they have access to, what time of the month they typically have trouble meeting their nutritional needs. And so that kind of a survey is very useful for seeing what families need and also seeing across different zip codes, like how are the needs different in certain areas of the county and of the state. Were you especially interested in doing this work in your home state? Do you feel like given that you're from Oregon, you have a particular connection or a kind of a special lens on thinking about this work? I think a little bit. I think that I'm, I definitely don't know a whole lot about Washington County because um, I didn't grow up there. So I'm excited to learn more about that. Um, but I think that in general, I have a much better understanding of Oregon and Washington than other states because I've lived in these places the, the longest. But I still think I have a lot to learn. And I think sometimes it's nice, like I'm from Washington and went to Puget Sound and knew a lot of students at Puget Sound that were from outside Washington. And I think I always felt like it wasn't so much that I knew the state better, but I did feel a little bit like I already understood that I didn't <laughs> in maybe a more complex way where I was aware that there was sort of a broader range of experiences that existed in the state beyond sort of the little piece of it that was right around Puget Sound or right around college. And I think that is sometimes nice when you grow up somewhere, even if you don't know everything that there is to know about a different part of your state or even your city or however you define your community, you do maybe have a more fleshed out idea or sense of, hey, I actually don't know what I don't know. And there's learning there for me. Yeah, I agree with that totally. I think that being able to work with populations that you're unfamiliar with is so useful in 
just understanding how many populations and how many issues there are that you're not familiar with yet. How do Theme Row, Ka'ohana Meike Aloha's annual luau, and the roar of a chainsaw in Baker Stadium connect? Hi, I'm Mike Rodersman, Associate Director of Admission and a Puget Sound alum from the class of 1999. And all three of these things that I listed are Puget Sound traditions that date back to even before I was in school. To learn more about traditions and special events, head to pugetsound.edu slash stories. Now back to P.S., the Puget Sound podcast. You mentioned earlier that as you were applying for jobs, you sort of thought about, oh, maybe if I had majored in the natural sciences or if I had gone more in the bio direction. Why did you pick international political economy back in the day? What drew you to IPE? That's a great question. I think that... um, It was something I had looked at a little bit on the UPS website before I started school, but I really went kind of blindly into the college admissions process and um, also was not thinking a whole lot about what I wanted to major in when I first arrived on campus. But the first class I ever took, it was a 9 a.m. on Monday, was (laughs) IPE 101. And I loved that class, Um, just really enjoyed learning a lot of things that I had not been exposed to in high school. I really, it was struck by being excited to write a paper. It was the first time I was ever really excited about doing a research project. Um, And I think going through other classes and being excited for some projects and not for others made that stand out more, Um, not just like, oh, this is just college, but also this is something I'm really interested in. And then once I had taken that class, I looked more into the major and realized that it's one of the most flexible majors at UPS um, because it draws from three different departments. And so you can really kind of take a smattering of courses from sociology and anthropology and econ and politics and government as well as the IPE department. And so I really liked that because I was able to try a few from each department and then pick the one that I liked the least and not take as many from then from that one. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about in that IPE 101 class, like what are some of the things you learned? What were the things that you remember being in class and thinking like, whoa, this, this is a thing. I remember learning about the production of t-shirts in the global economy. We read a whole book on that and That was something that you never really, unless you were in a class that specifically addressed that in high school, it's very unlikely that you would have ever thought about that very much. And so that was really interesting. I also just remember learning a lot about trade and trade agreements and learning about it in a way that felt both like surprising, but also pretty intuitive, which I think is a really cool way to feel when you're learning because it makes sense. But you also think to yourself, I never would have thought about this. Um, So that was really cool. And once you completed IPE 101 and you started thinking, I really like this, let me look more into this major. What were just some of your favorite classes that you took, period? And I'm hoping if you share some course titles and some course descriptions, we can kind of help bring to life what IPE is and how all those classes from all those different departments go together. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, So I really liked IPE 205, which is International Trade and Finance, 
Um, mm-hmm. And that is just a basic requirement that everyone has to take for IPE. But um, it taught me to write really well in a way that I was, I was not a very strong writer before then. Um, and so that was, I think, taught me how easy research could be compared to how I had been doing it before. I learned a lot of tips and tricks about using different apps and different tools um, to really feel like I was not just staring at a computer all day trying to get information, but like I was finding what I needed to find. And on top of that, it was the course material in that class was things I was interested in, like trade and economic crises and learning why they happen. And I think that was really cool, especially since the Great Recession was when I was way too young to understand anything about the economy. And so it was neat to think back to things I saw as a little kid and understand the mechanisms driving that. Um, So I really loved that class. I also really loved a travel course that I took, um, which was IPE. I think it was 333, the political economy of Southeast Asia. Um, And that class focused on learning all about Southeast Asia. And then we took a trip to Thailand for a month over the summer and conducted independent research focused on tourism and different cultural, um, what were all the different ones? I did my research on cultural tourism, but there was also research on adventure tourism and wildlife tourism. And there was a bunch of different kinds of tourism that people were studying. And so that was a very cool hands-on experience. Um, And so in addition to doing research while we were abroad, we also got to take Thai at the local university and then take kind of an extension of the class we had taken in the spring with the same professor. Um, And so that was a really neat class because it was very small and it felt very much like what we were learning on campus in the winter was going to be important. And I think that it's a lot more Um, it comes a lot more easily to be engaged in the class when you feel like what you're learning is really going to be useful for you. Well, and I want to ask you about that too, because I think for a cynic, it would be easy to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you have this normal class and then you get this kind of fancy vacation, but having actually done it, I imagine you really felt like whoa, here's a way in which I have learned something by being here, having this experience that I maybe otherwise wouldn't have or just wouldn't have thought about in quite the same way if I had not had this component. Yeah. And I I also want to add going into the class, I definitely thought it was going to be more of a kind of your stereotypical study abroad over the summer where you see all the sights and you have fun and you go out to eat. But it was a really intense experience. There was a lot of school involved and a lot of research. And so in a way, that was something I was exposed to was what it's like to be doing work almost all day and have your, you're trying to learn and you're trying to research. Um, I think that was definitely new for me. And also getting to live with a host family was something I had never done before. And that was really neat. Um, I think that just the experience of being uncomfortable in a new environment is really important. And I had had it in ways of going to college and meeting new friends and joining clubs and teams, but I hadn't had it in that same way across cultures and languages. And so that was really, really great. I remember studying abroad too and coming back, realizing not just like, okay, I have sort of a 
complicated living model for some of the things that I thought about in class, where now I am realizing how hard it is to reconcile some of the trade-offs we've talked about, or I'm really visualizing like, okay, you know, this kind of clinical program or approach I'm thinking about in class I'm, is made much less clinical by the fact that I'm thinking about how it would impact people I know or people I'm in touch with. Mm-hmm. But I also remember coming back from study abroad and realizing like, whoa, some of these things happen everywhere, right? That like this sort of interconnectedness of the global economy and the global community really brings that experience back with you in a way that I think was a surprise to me. Yeah, I totally agree. Leah, you mentioned just a couple of moments ago that you were not a great writer when you came to college, but you finished college as a peer advisor in the Center for Writing, Learning, and Teaching. So will you, I guess, first maybe tell people what a peer advisor is. I think that is new. And then I'd like to ask you, too, a little bit about that evolution, because that is um, not unique, but remarkable and very impressive. Thank you. Um, Yeah, so the Center for Writing, Learning, and Teaching is our campus's writing center. And a lot of universities have them, but I, and I'm, of course, biased, but I think ours is very special. Um, and at the center, we have all there, all of our tutors, um, with the exception of a couple of faculty tutors who help with graduate work, um, and things like that. All of our tutors are undergraduate students. And so there are writing advisors and academic consultants and, um, subject tutors who specialize in a particular discipline. And so I worked as a Spanish tutor. Um, And so I got to work with students primarily in 100 and 200 level courses, but also occasionally students would come in with papers for 300 and 400 levels. And I really, really loved my work there. I think that it not only gave me a sense of a small community on campus that I was a part of that I had a lot of overlapping interests with, but it also allowed me to connect a lot with students who were in different years from myself. Um, I think especially As a junior working with students who are freshmen, um, that was really unique, getting to kind of remember what that was like and give them advice on different classes they were taking. So I think it really connected me to parts of the campus community um, that I wouldn't have been exposed to as much. And how does that work? Like if I'm a freshman in a 100 level Spanish class, how do I meet you? Do I have to be having a hard time? Do I have to sort of have sought you out myself? How, how, how do I get to your table in the CWLT? Yeah, so in non-pandemic times, um, <laughs> subject tutors and writing advisors will come to, you'll at least meet one of them, if not more, um, because they'll come directly to your class for a semester. And they'll give you a sticker that has their name and the hours that they work at the Center for Writing, Learning, and Teaching. And they'll say, I'm available to make appointments and I also have a drop-in hour. And so you don't have to be struggling or falling behind in the class to use the center. You also totally can be. Um, It's really meant to meet students wherever they're at. And so for a lot of students, that means a second pair of eyes on papers that you're writing, or it means someone to help you work through some uh, language grammar assignment that is just not clicking yet. Um, or for a lot of other people who are a little more natural science inclined than myself, it means taking in like a biology lab report and having someone help you format it and make sure you have everything you need. Um, and so you can make those appointments by calling the center or by sending them an email or filling out 
Um, they have a form on their website where you say what time you're available and what you want help with. Um, and so hopefully in the fall, everything will be back to how it was a couple of years ago. Um, and that will be the same as it was before. But this last year, we've had the same sort of process for making appointments, but they've just all been held virtually. And what did that feel okay, like having appointments virtually? I mean, I imagine it's a little different in the same way that we all have learned that a Zoom meeting is a little bit different than a face-to-face meeting, but it sounds like it worked well. Yes, it did work well. I think that once people actually had an appointment and came to it, it worked really well, but it was a lot harder to make sure everyone knew about the resources that were available because I think that a big part of learning about the center is walking past it and seeing signs or having someone come into your class um, and not just be like a five-minute conversation on Zoom that you're not paying as much attention to. And so I think that made it a lot more difficult for people who might have come in to actually come in um, because it just was another hour of your time on Zoom. And it you didn't really have a good sense if you hadn't been in before of what that community and work felt like. Yeah. Well, and I think too, one thing that is really nice about the CWLT is that it is so much intended to meet people where they're at, that if you are on campus and sort of having, I don't want to say superficial, but casual interactions with other people, you might see a whole range of folks mentioning that they work at the center or had just been to the center or were about to go to the center. And then you start to see the way that it serves a whole spectrum of people and maybe feel comfortable because you see someone that reminds you of yourself saying that they are somehow associated with the center. And that is also that kind of casual interaction is also harder to replicate online. Yeah, no, definitely. Am I right, Leah, in thinking that in addition to being a Spanish tutor, you were also a peer advisor? Yes, I was with the uh, Office of Academic Advising. And what is a peer advisor? Tell folks about that. Yeah, so if you're a first-year student or a transfer student, you are assigned a faculty advisor who has to sign off on like the classes you're registering to take, and you can ask them about what classes you should take or who you should contact for different forms of support. But you're also um, assigned a peer advisor who's typically a junior or a senior. Sometimes they're a sophomore um, and they have been trained on all campus resources and they know where you should go if you're having a health issue or if you're having a mental health issue or if you're having you need to get accommodations for a disability, things like that. Um, And so as a peer advisor, I had a caseload of about 30 students um, who were in a few different advising sections. And so I was really just there to check in with them every month and see how they were doing to help them register for classes, which was definitely a lot more challenging virtually to navigate all the software. Um, But we made it work. Um, And above all, to just normalize any transitions and things they were going through as they started college. I think that although people didn't have to navigate some of the challenges of moving away and Um, starting college as you would if you were in person, there was a whole other slew of challenges that people faced. And so I would, again, kind of just meet people where they were at. And some students wanted to just have a texting conversation every month and others wanted to Zoom. Um, So it was a really, again, a really great way to connect with first years um, from a selfish perspective. And hopefully for them, a really great way to learn about all the resources that were available to them and also to have someone to just say, it's not going to be like this forever. And 
here are some things to get excited about when you return to campus. Yeah. And for yourself as someone who both was a peer advisor, but who also had a peer advisor, how does the peer advisor role sort of fit in with the faculty advisor? What is a peer advisor able to do or, um, you know, perhaps sought out for that maybe a faculty advisor just would be less of a natural fit for? Yeah, that's a great question. I think typically faculty advisors are also full-time professors. And so they're really busy. Um, And I think also the gap between a professor and a student can be pretty intimidating in terms of if you need to ask someone how to deal with a conflict with your roommate um, and maybe the RA on your floor is busy um, or like you don't want to go to them because they're also on the floor and you don't want to get him back to your roommate or anything like that. And you just want some advice. Um, a peer advisor can be a really great like neutral source who's not really involved in determining your grades and isn't involved in making sure that you're being quiet in your dorm, but is just can be kind of a friend. Um, so I really liked that aspect of peer advising. And I think my peer advisor, my freshman year was also just a really great reassurance a lot of the time and saying like, you didn't know what you don't know what you want to major in. I didn't either. And you didn't know what clubs to join. I didn't either. So I think that's a big part of peer advising is being able to remember what it was like to be a first year and normalize things that everybody goes through, even if they're not talking about it. And how did you get matched up with your advisees? Is that random? Is it folks who think maybe they want to major in IPE? Is it folks that are also from Oregon? Is it, we haven't talked about this, but you played varsity tennis. Is it other prospective varsity athletes? Yeah. So I had two, I had four total advising sections um, and two of those were in the IPE department. So some people have only, uh, some people will definitely have a peer advisor who's in their major, like with music, that tends to be very common because a lot of people come in declared for music. Um, but a lot of other people just take a class for fun and it happens to be an advising section. So a lot of the students who are in those IPE classes aren't actually going to be IPE majors, but hopefully some of them will be. Um, and then I had a couple of other sections. One was in Spanish, which is my minor. And then one of them was in philosophy, which I've never taken. Um, so sometimes it's random. Um, I think that for people who come into school, knowing they want to be pre-med or knowing they want to do music, um, like things that you have to decide a little earlier on, it's really useful to be paired up with a peer advisor who is also in that track. Um, but I also think that a lot of the things that peer advisors provide support with are pretty general. Um, and it doesn't really matter what major you are. And I also think in some ways it's nice to, it's a trade-off, right? Where like, if you think you want to be an IPE major and your peer advisor is also an IPE major, then you maybe have like a slightly more inside track on like, Ooh, what professor should I register for classes with if I really like discussion-based class or like what, you know, courses can I put back to back in these different buildings? Um, but also if you have someone who's outside your major one, they too can probably tell you, you shouldn't really try to walk from Wyatt to like 
McIntyre with just 10 minutes to go. But then you also get a nice sort of external perspective on things outside your major and have an opportunity to have someone tell you, yeah, I'm hearing you say you really are loving philosophy, but I'm also hearing you mention interests that you could explore in these other ways. And it's kind of nice too. It's nice that like, it's a Mm win-win. Yeah, definitely. I think, and I think it's really helpful to have someone, at least it was for me to have someone who has a better idea of the lay of the land um, and can say things about where, what buildings are far apart and um, how hard it is to switch into certain majors versus others and things like that. We end every conversation by asking everybody the same four questions. The first question is, where is your favorite spot on campus? I, speaking of Wyatt, I love the second floor offices of Wyatt. Um, There's like a study space at the end of the professor's offices. And so if you haven't been down those offices, you might not know it's there, but it's just, uh, there's a full wall of windows and a little bench and a table and some chairs And it's a really quiet, just like very lovely place to study because there's a little bit of background noise from professors, but it's not chaotic. Um, And I definitely, if there's distractions around, I'm like not able to focus at all. Um, So I really like that spot. What are you reading right now? Or are you just luxuriating and being a college graduate not reading Um, anything at all? I have actually, I've recently started reading again because I don't have to be reading for class. I think that's a very common Thing that happens is once you don't have to read for school, then you actually start reading for fun. Um, so I was given uh, a biography on Arthur Ashe, who mm. was a black tennis player. Um, and so it's about his involvement in the black power and civil rights movements. So I've like just started that, but I'm really excited to read that. Where is the best place to eat in Tacoma? I really love Indo-Asian street eatery. Um, which I think is on I Street. I, oh, no, it's not. It's on some other street, but it's over towards Stadium High School. Um, and they have a lot of really delicious, both like vegetarian and non-vegetarian options um, that are just really fun, like little dumplings and um, lettuce wraps and noodle dishes and everything like that. And Leah, lastly, why is Puget Sound special? I think Puget Sound is special because of the connection you're able to make with the campus community. I think that the ability to be involved in a few different things that are really important to you and not have to just choose one um, is just a huge gift, like being able to be an athlete and being able to be involved in your major. I think really, um, or anything like that that you're interested in really allows you to get to know people um, in a lot of different groups on campus and feel much more like, oh yeah, this is like, I'm a part of this rather than just, I'm someone who comes to school here, but I don't have a connection. Mm. Leah Van Steeter, thank you for joining me on the Puget Sound Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to PS, the Puget Sound Podcast. If you're interested in applying to or visiting Puget Sound, you can find out more at pugetsound.edu slash admission. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at UNIV, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. I'm Elena Becker, and we'll see you next time for PS, the Puget Sound Podcast.